where we take our late night talks, aka our own therapy sessions, and put them on record for you to hear. We take a looser definition of therapy, so if you seek professional help, please do so. Our main goal or hope is that in sharing our stories, we will relieve some of your tension and you will relate to us. So please join us on this journey. good <laughs> such a routine every day every time how you doing i'm good <laughs> so by this point you have heard our intro episode to come to the table this is our series that we are doing about race race relations racial discrimination and how we relate to race we're just gonna jump right in uh we're gonna do a q a about different questions that some of you sent to us some of that these are conversations that we had with uh we're gonna say strangers to save identities, and we are just going to go back and forth and see what we think about these questions. So the first one I've got is, what does someone of a different race need to know about you before going on a date with you? You got an answer for that already? Okay, so two things. I need them to have already thought about the fact that I am a black woman. Mm -hmm. Like, if that's not going to fly in your family tree... Like, I need you to have thought of that before, like, we're invested in this relationship. And it's like, oh, I like you. By the way, my grandmother probably won't like you. It has nothing to do with your personality. It has everything to do with the fact that she doesn't super love black people. I need you to have thought about that and either be prepared to defend me or be prepared that this is not going to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. This is just, like, for fun. And, I mean, I I don't love it that you're trifling. With my heart, if you're just doing this for fun, but at least you know where you stand. I need you to have put some actual thought into it beforehand. Also, I need you to be prepared that it's going to be slightly awkward. And I think less so for me, between me and the guy, but more so for people watching us. Mm -hmm. Kind of going back to the story that we talked about, there's been times where I've been in grocery stores and malls and places and been watched. And most of the time, I just ignore it now. But going back to something that you said is something that you don't think about. And I think it's something that a lot of people don't think about. So just be prepared that you're going to become the new watched. And you might be becoming the new judged person. That people are judging for who you're in relationship and why you're in relationship with them. And it's going to be different based off of where you live. um, Because certain things are going to be more accepted than other things. I think you... You definitely have to, I feel like my answers are going back to thought. Like, you really do have to think about it before you do it. If it gets serious, I think you have to consider the fact that your kids, they're going to have a combined experience that you're having. So whatever you guys are experiencing, it's going to kind of be doubled because your kids are going to be forced to choose. And in a lot of cases, it's going to be based off of how dark or how light they are. Like if they can quote unquote pass, we haven't really talked about passing. If you want to talk about it, we can, but if your kids can quote unquote pass is kind of how they're going to be judged, whether they're, you know, white, biracial or black. So be prepared to, again, have those conversations with family and have answers. Uh, I know some parents that have watched on YouTube, let their kids choose what their terms are. 
biracial, I'm multiracial, or I'm black, or I'm white, or whatever. They usually don't go with just white, but that I've, that I've seen. But letting the kids choose their terms. Some parents are just, the minority parent just says, listen, you are what people are going to look at you and just basically decide that you are. So just call yourself that. Mm. So just just have an answer for that or be thinking of an answer for that in the future. But those are like my main three that I thought of. I think for me it's a little bit similar, but on the other side is kind of preparing that person mm-hmm. for my background. So I don't think my family, besides a few people, like listen to this, but just going to be honest. My family, we're from a small southern town, you know, and... Now most of the one most of the people older people they're all gone now but there are probably still within my family some prejudices or some racist ideas that they yeah that are still there and they don't even really know that they're there mm-hmm. and they're they're ignorant in a way and so they may say things that aren't appropriate and I would let them know that they weren't appropriate. Mm-hmm. And I have let them know that it's not appropriate. But yeah, just but preparing. It's when it's like the person that you like slash love. Yeah. Like, hey, <laughs> low key, high key, that was not okay. Yeah, just like letting them know before, like bringing them home, kind of like, look, I'm going to defend you. Also, it's my family, and I can't control the way they say things at the Mm -hmm. same time, you know, but I can tell them, hey, that's not right. But just letting you know ahead of time, they may say some things that aren't, that are are ignorant, (laughs) essentially. (laughs) Other than that, I don't think I've really thought about that question or, you know, what, what would I want them to know about me in particular. I'm more so because I'm on the, the white side. You can say it. Okay. <laughs> this is a safe space. <laughs> I want to know. I want to know more about them, I guess, mm-hmm. or like, what do I need to know about you before? Kind of. Okay. And we kind of talked about this, I think, in one of our episodes, but just for reference. How do you feel about interracial dating? Like, have you thought about it before? Yeah, we talked about that in the last episode. I'm totally fine with interracial dating, and. If I had my way, I'd end up with someone <laughs> not of my race. <laughs> I think it's interesting. I'm very intrigued by it. But for me, at the end of the day, it's just who I'm attracted to. Or I, like, I don't think about, yes, I'm physically attracted to this person. But if I end up with this person, like, I don't think about who, what color their skin is or mm-hmm. where they're from or anything like that. It's just about who they are. Mm-hmm. Do you worry that you are either attractive or unattractive to certain people because of who you are? Because I do. Oddly enough, I feel that a lot with black men. And I think part of it stems from in college. I was always curious why black guys never really kind of pursued me. And so I kind of cornered this guy in college and I was like, I'm just curious. What are your like initial thoughts of me? And they were mostly good, but... I, I kind of caveated the conversation because he wasn't giving me the answer that I wanted. I, I, and I asked him, if you had to date me or this other black girl that I knew, which one would you date? And he said, the other girl. And I asked him why. And he just said, oh, I'm just more attracted to her. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'm curious. Is there anything about me as a black woman that turns you off? And you just see that little smile of like, I don't know if I should say this to her. I'm going to hurt her feelings. And I was like, just say it. It's fine. 
And he said, low key, you don't always come off as a black woman, which I didn't know how to take. To be, I still don't know how to take that, honestly. But he said, it's kind of hard to, to know who you stand for. And so I thought that was the, I still think that's one of the weirdest things, but I try to just have grace for that. And I did ask for him to tell me the truth, but I do wonder about that when I, when I, when even I have crushes on black men of if there's something about me that turns them off, um, and makes them think that I'm not for them in some way. Cause I'm obviously like, while I'm for all human race, I'm definitely for my black brothers who are sexy as heck. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't know what it is specifically about me that, like, is intimidating. I've been told multiple times by black men that I'm intimidating. But I've been told by, like, all kinds of men that I'm intimidating. So I'm like, am I just intimidating? Or is it specifically to black men that I'm intimidating? And I don't understand why. So do you have, like, an experience like that? No, mine always has to do more with physical appearance instead of, like, my personality-wise. Most of the time, like, not tooting my own horn or anything like that, but... Most of the time, I think I'm really cool. I like. I think but, I'm pretty uh, likable. Yes, <laughs> I think yeah. I'm pretty likable. <laughs> I'm fun. I'm thoughtful. I'm smart. And so, like personality wise, I feel like I'm a catch most days. Mm-hmm. But uh, looks wise, I never really feel like that. And so that was always my thing. It's like when I was, I would be the the dummy and ask like my guy friends questions, kind of like that. Yeah. But I didn't want to know the answers. <laughs> and I would get the answers about my physical appearance that they didn't like. And I still remember those. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's usually just the physical appearance that I worry about versus the personality. But, of course, the physical appearance affects the personality a lot of times. Because I go into it already kind of like thinking, ah, this guy's not going to like me. Like, I'm not his type. I'm not attractive. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't find myself attractive usually anyways. thanks I don't find myself that attractive anyways of course there are days where I'm like oh I look good Mm -hmm. you know but most days I don't find myself that attractive so initially even when I like someone I think ah I'm not he's not gonna like me but I have to like try to keep reminding myself everyone has their own type and a lot of people actually don't look at your physical appearance when deciding who to to date and I think also comes from an age we're kind of getting slightly off topic Mm. but I think it does matter I think when I was in my teens so I'm thinking mid-teens to late teens about to go into college I don't really feel like I was looking at people because of their race I feel like I really truly was looking at them because of personality Mm. I feel like once I got into college and partially this was coming from like psychological classes I was taking and just experiences I was having I became aware that dating outside of my race might be a problem and I need to be prepared for that. But also for me, even dating inside my race is going to be a problem because for some reason I just don't relate well to black men and I don't know why. And so I just, I feel like I'm always aware and I feel like also being trying, I've done online dating before Low key, we'll have an episode about it, but didn't enjoy it. But even that made me very aware and I had to really figure out what I wanted. Found out it it really did for me have nothing to do with race um, or ethnicity. Uh, I'm really attracted to the person, 
But I have to be already strong and prepare to myself either to be rejected or to stand my ground on things that, that are really important to me. Because mm-hmm. people will try you. Yeah. Especially online because they don't have to actually face you. And I will step to someone in a minute and be like, listen, you're being a bully or that's not okay. And I'm not messing with people who are like, oh, I was just kidding. Or, you know, other people use this term and it's fine. And I'm like, listen, you need to be aware that that term is sensitive for people of this race. So if you can say it with them, that's awesome. You can't say that with everyone. Mm-hmm. There's like some things that like even we call each other that if so, a stranger were to call me that, I'm not sure if I'd be okay with it. Right. And it's not like a derogatory term. It's just like nicknames that I one wouldn't expect it and two, they haven't earned their right to call me that. Mm-hmm. So just you got to be self-aware. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People, you just got to be self-aware. How have you seen the effect of Hamilton on the country or on your personal life? I have slightly strong opinions about this. <laughs> so you can go first. Um, I was thinking about this because Malia gave me the questions beforehand. But I still, I haven't seen Hamilton. I've listened to the music and I know the effect it had when it first started or came out. But that's been years now and I don't, like personally, have a strong opinion have any strong opinion about it or saw any kind of like lasting effect it had. Mm. Um, But I haven't paid much attention to it. So I have very strong opinions because I typically am not a fat person. And I think that's going back to Enneagram, part of my four. (laughs) Of wanting to kind of, when something's super popular, I, I wait for it to die down and then I try to get into it. And so, initially when Hamilton came out, I was just like, so many people loved it. And they were like, you have to see it! It was like the drug of choice. But it was so hyped that I felt like if I watched it then with people who automatically loved it, I would automatically not like it as much. Mm -hmm. So I waited like two years before I actually listened to the music. And part of the reason I listened to the music is because at the time I was interning at a bookstore. And me and my manager, when we were closed... And cleaning up the store, we'd listen to the Hamilton soundtrack. And it was so interesting because uh, he was one of the night managers. And technically, we were only like three years apart. And he would just talk to me about how Hamilton affected his life. And he was white. And about how it created so many good conversations for him. And how it made him very aware of like stuff that was going on in the time. Like it made it more personal to him. It was just such an interesting thing to watch a play that that initially I'm thinking okay how accurate is this to history and I kind of did my own research and found out it's pretty close like definitely for a dramatized version it's pretty close and the music is really good and the guy who created it was very thoughtful when he did it how it literally was changing people's lives and seeing theater kids new theater kids kind of be attracted to theater because of Hamilton and seeing Black men, especially, mm. um, either be um, attracted to music or theater or have the courage to kind of go after these different things because of the show was really cool to watch. So that happened, and then shortly thereafter, I ended up interning in New York at a camp <laughs> that I love and I would love to go back, but stinking COVID. And it was the counselor's soundtrack for the summer. We'd be, like, singing to each other when the kids were getting unruly and we were tired. And 
just kind of encourage each other. And it was like kind of our thing that we would do to just encourage one of the counselors that was really going through a hard time. And music is my love language, just all, all the way around. Mm-hmm. So just having that experience and connections with those two people or a group of people really connects me to Hamilton now. So I, I definitely feel like I was affected by the Hamilton wave. It was just a couple years after the wave. And now I'm very sad that the original cast is not there. <laughs> I'm usually not that person who's like original cast or die, but I really, ooh, I don't know if I could watch it. I don't know <laughs> if I could watch it with a different cast. <laughs> That's really cool, though. Do you have any cinema or music that was like that for you that kind of opened up your world to a different experience? Uh, remember the titans was i'm not remember the titans is still like probably my favorite movie i go back to that all the time for things like my favorite changes all the time my favorites for things change all the time but a lot of times whenever i was asked what's your favorite movie what's your favorite movie what's your favorite movie was always remember the titans and if you haven't seen it it's a show it's a movie first of all that is shown in like every middle school and high school at least in the 2000s (laughs) um have you seen it I really can't. I feel like I have seen it, but I'm not really into sports movies all that much. Yeah, I don't really like football movies, but this is set in the is set um, during integration of schools mm-hmm. after the uh, shoot. I can't remember the name. Is it Brown versus Board of Education? Or anyways, so after the law for integrating schools has been set, and this is set in Virginia, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. So it's not even the South. It's pretty interesting. This football team now becomes an integrated football team. And they have two captains. And it's a white captain and a black captain. And it follows their relationship and the football team's relationship. Denzel Washington plays the coach. And he takes them on this, like, boot camp moment um, where he leads them. um, And, you know, a lot of, like, amazing speeches that he gives him. And there's a turning point as well when one of the captains is, like, severely hurt um, as well. And I don't know, that that movie, I think, really started and, like, opened up my eyes to racial issues in general, even when I was a young kid, now looking back on it. Um, so that one really affected me, or is one that I go back to as well. Is there a particular kind of music that really opened you up like that? Music? Mm, oh... Shoot, I just watched Selma and the song at the end. Oh, I forget the name of it. Is it Glory? Yes. Glory. Oh, I love that song. That song. <laughs> One day when the glory comes, it'll be ours, it'll be ours. Oh, one day. Oh, yeah. so good. Take me to church. So, I love That's that. not that song. <laughs> so take me to church. I'm just kidding. Um... Definitely that that song came to mind. Literally is my prepare for praise team song. Because <laughs> it has such good like high and lows and uh, but just the message. A lot of church songs do it for me too though. So mm-hmm. I think it's interesting now, something that I've been noticing more is groups are a lot of praise teams and worship groups are taking old church songs and they're doing them in a gospel style. Which I wasn't sure how exactly I was going to feel about that. <laughs> because still a lot of these groups are mostly Caucasian. But it's interesting to watch them have to learn how to how to not be so focused on the 
melody slash how the music is written. Like, mm-hmm. black people really do feel music. Yeah. Um, that's something that I've noticed is we feel music. You guys read music. Mm-hmm. The way that you guys write and read music is so interesting to me. It's so clinical, but not in like a sterile way. It's like clinical as in a beautiful rediscovery kind of way. Mm-hmm. But we will totally change a song according to our mood. Yeah. Like, um, the song that I'll fly away. Oh, if we're happy, song. I'll fly away. Oh, glory. I'll fly away. And then if we're, say we're at a funeral. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Yeah. Versus us, it's like, I'll fly away is a more, uh, ha- usually a more upbeat tune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're not even going to use it for <laughs> a funeral. A funeral. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's one thing that I've, I've noticed when white people would go to black funerals, they almost would look at it like it was disrespectful of how happy they are because <laughs> we'll sing what we want to sing at a funeral. You guys are very, um, respectful of the dead. <laughs> Sometimes we're... It's not disrespect. <laughs> well, no, it's I mean, especially if you're Christian, like it's, it is a happy, it can be a happier occasion, you know? Let me say clean. It's not, it's not respectful and disrespectful, but they, they act like it's respectful and disrespectful. It's very one, it's very, um, it has a, you know, like in uh, movies, when it, like the movie makes a turn and you hear that like soft, melodic music, mm-hmm. that's what y'all's funerals kind of remind me of. It's like, it's setting the mood. We will create the mood. <laughs> <laughs> music that kind of opened up my world that was different probably was Spanish, Hispanic music for me. I just, I love something that has a fast beat. I love people who will take a song and not listen to what the lyrics are and just create their own thing. And I noticed that in Hispanic culture. Um, You do have to be careful though. If you do not understand the language, you can possibly be able to listen to things that are not the best. So always look up the translation before you just start randomly singing stuff on the street. Um, I got corrected. Let's just say, put it that way mildly. (laughs) <laughs> one time but yeah I think for me it was Hispanic music after that probably Korean and then after that well no in between Spanish and Korean music was a little bit of French ballad music mm. so that happened for me in between college yeah for me in Israel when I was in Israel is when I actually got into Korean music. So Korean music opened up my world to Korea and my then my interest to Korea and Korean learning the Korean language. But then also Israeli music also got very popular with me and like opened my eyes up a little bit more to different kinds of music. So much so now that I don't I haven't listened to any like besides going to church and listening to those songs, I don't really listen to any English songs anymore. <laughs> interesting i i think for me music can become truly become an experience i started listening to israeli music when you and i started regularly talking to each other on the phone while Mm -hmm. you were in israel and i just never thought to listen to it i don't know why my mom went through a phase where she was listening to israeli uh music and prayers and blessings and stuff and i just never listened to it with her didn't dislike it just i don't know why i didn't think to do it but before or after I would call you, I would listen to it. And it would create, like, this mood of, like, 
I'm experiencing the things she's experiencing, <laughs> even though I'm not. But, like, I don't know why it really did become a mood for me as mm. I was listening to it before uh, we get on the phone. So, something that someone asked me about was n- knowing the difference between white privilege and economic privilege. And how do you have racial conversations about discrimination for minorities while also respecting the fact that there are white people who have not experienced economic privilege, but they have experienced white privilege. Mm. So have you thought about that? Because I I don't know if I really had. I just assumed that that's a given and it's kind of obvious. But we had a really good, uh, me and this person had a really good conversation about how we felt, and we both agreed that we think that the media is not really talking so much about economic white mm, privilege. Mm-hmm. They're talking about white privilege as a blanket statement. I think we need to break out, break down first what economic privilege is, and is it just for white people? Mm-hmm. Are we talking about privilege that gives you an advantage in, what, like it's a privilege based on your wealth? Mm-hmm. Is what we're talking about here. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I grew up pretty like... I thought at the time was middle class, Mm -hmm. but looking back on it, it was definitely like poor level or Mm -hmm. not poverty really, but lower. Yeah, just low lower class um, income, and still like fighting that now. Um, It leads to college not being like paid for. But I'm on kind of the opposite end is I think a, I think maybe those a typical thing is those that are in a lower class will start to like work really young work at a really young age mm-hmm. start to like really like I have a friend who paid off her whole like came into came into college with already a year transfer credits from dual enrolling during high school mm-hmm. she finished in three years and she had already paid off like she paid everything off while she was in school and didn't have any loans. Oh, that's awesome. Right. And that's because she worked like a dog during the summers waitressing and um, worked during school and everything versus me who, even though I was in a lower income, my mom, my junior year, I thought I need to, I told her I was going to look for a job and she's like, that's fine. You can do that. But I'm letting you know, you don't have to, you don't have to look for a job. I'm not going to make you look for a job Mm. essentially. Um, And I interviewed for a few jobs, but I never got any jobs. So I didn't have any jobs during high school and I had in jobs when I was in college, but it was college jobs, like the work-study jobs because of my finances. And it may sound like, oh, you led a good life. Like, my mom got me a car when I was in high school. It was a family car, but I got to drive it. And then when I got out of high school for college, I got a car, and I didn't have to pay the bills for it. Mm-hmm. But my mom was paying the bills, and the car got repossessed because she wasn't paying the bills. Oh. While we were in, while we were growing up, we would go days, we would go sometimes without power, we would go sometimes without water, sometimes we would go without both because my mom didn't pay the bill. So my mom would very much, like, she would spend and spoil us before she thought about herself, too. That doesn't include the power and water, but, and my family went bankrupt twice while I was a kid, and I never knew about it until I got older, so I grew up without a lot of knowledge of savings and finances, and I'm now in this situ in a situation now too where I'm like, okay, I've got to start learning because I've already messed up because of that. And I think for my context is my parents were definitely uh, poverty, lower class when they were growing up, and then my dad and mom were both working through college, and after they got out of college. 
And a desire my mom had after college was to have kids, but she wanted to stay at home. And my dad's always been driven. He fully supported that. And so I think we were lower middle class when I was younger. And by the time I got to high school, I think we were mid. And my dad will probably retire in five to ten years. And they're probably upper mid Mm -hmm. at this point. And they stress finances like the Bible. (laughs) Uh, They had seen their family struggle with money uh, and not have things. And my dad would constantly talk about how he wanted us to do well in school, to do better than past generations so that the next generation doesn't have to struggle as hard and about how it was hard for him to kind of break into this industry as an engineer and as a black man, as an engineer, and just really stressed education and understanding finances. Mm -hmm. The thing that I wish that they had gone into more detail, though, is they stressed that about debt and about not getting into debt. But I I don't feel like they fully explained what a budget looks like Mm -hmm. and what truly controlling your finances instead of your finances controlling you look like. They just did it. And because of that, I kind of let them control my finances until I graduated high school and was kind of on my own. And then I started having these issues with accidentally overdrafting my account and getting a credit card, even though I mostly had it managed when I was in college, but when I got out of college, I misused it. Most of my debt is student loan debt, but I do have credit cards that I'm paying off, and I recently paid off one. It was so exciting. I typed in that number of that last payment, and I felt so much empowered. Oh, it was so nice. Uh, but I still have two more cards, and close to almost 1000 1300 in credit card debt, and I'm trying to get it paid off before hopefully two months before Christmas is my goal but I don't know I just I acknowledge that I I even I have to acknowledge that I did not stop start off on the bottom economically I did not start off on the bottom but I don't feel like I was coddled I was taught from a very early age that what we had was not mine Mm -hmm. (laughs) and what even I had could be taken away Mm -hmm. because I didn't deserve it it was um a privilege to have what I had, but it could easily be taken away. Mm. And so even with economic privilege, I struggle to understand and, and relate to that because I believe that there's people who grew up who had economic privilege, but their parents were very strict and didn't allow them to feel like they were actually privileged. Mm. Like, I don't think I felt like I was privileged until I was actually out of the house, mm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I was able to acknowledge and see that I had friends that had parents that were doing better than my parents and parents that were doing worse than my parents. I could see that they were doing well, but I never put that achievement onto myself, if that makes sense. Mm. So now I feel like I have all this drive to, okay, now one of my goals for the year is to start making over $25,000. That is my goal. Honestly, I would love, my lifetime goal is to be a millionaire. (laughs) Don't come for me. (laughs) It's my dream and goal. You can have your other dreams and goals. And being rich or wealthy does not make you non-Christian. So don't even start with me with that mess. (laughs) And so even with economic privilege, I think if your parents are really careful, you still won't experience it, if that makes sense. If they train you 
up in a certain way, you'll still feel the weight of having to gain your own economic privilege. So statistically, African Americans are less economically privileged. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, since you grew up in an economically privileged household, do you do you think that affected how you relate to your black community? Probably. Part of that is the stress of education. Mm-hmm. And that's not a bad, to say that education is a bad thing. And that's not to say that black people are uneducated. I, it was just highly stressed to me to always be proper. You need to be proper and you need to be able to adjust to your surroundings. And when I really think and break that down, a lot of it is breaking it down and being able to adjust to how others are going to perceive me. So initially, I struggled a lot with like how I want to do my hair. Mm. Because if you do your hair a certain way, you're going to be perceived as that black chick. Or if you do your hair in a different way, you're going to be seen as that black woman. And there is a difference. And you will notice the difference. <laughs> And so I struggled for a while with like how to do my hair and now I do it in twists and being prepared to have that conversation because right now I'm interviewing for jobs of this is professional hair and dress. Mm-hmm. Like don't come for me. <laughs> this is not professional. If you understood how long this hair takes, you would understand that it is professional and it takes a lot of effort. Both how I look, how I dress, and how I speak comes off very, I've been told by multiple people. I sound very white, which I don't know exactly what that means. But my, my parents just always stressed, you know, you need to be able to sound very educated, even if you don't have, you know, the degrees behind your name. You need to search for your own education because they're judging you based off of how you look, how you dress, and they're not going to take the time to realize who you are and the great mm. person you are. I think it's just a different kind of drive. Like, I, I hear what you're saying, and I think I, agree, I 95% agree with you. But I also wonder what is that, and this is part that I struggle with in just regular life too, what is that 5% of you have to drive yourself? Like you just have to drive yourself. Like what is what is that thing in you that's recently really been trying to drive yourself for foundation, for um, career goal, different like very strong career goals to do better than you have in the past, to pay off your debts, to some of it has got to be it annoys me when people try to blame their parents and their past for all of their problems Mm -hmm. i'm not saying that's not a part of your problem right like yes i'm walking into a room and i'm seeing how many people are minorities and who are not but i'm deciding when i walk into that room who I'm going to be. Well, for me, it's like I can blame my parents up to a certain point for my lack of knowledge in savings until I get to that point where I realize I have a lack of knowledge in savings Mm -hmm. or in finances. So now I'm like, I got to educate myself so I can no longer blame my parents for that. Exactly. I can blame them for how I I came to this Yeah. and the, the fact that I didn't know. But then when I realized I didn't know, that's when you're like, okay, you need to do something about it. Yeah, and I think it's also, and we both went through this program, and we both were mentored for this program. We went through freshman experience with our college. We both had to go through this class, and also we had to end up teaching this class about finances with our freshmen. And I think that kind of woke me up to the fact of there was things in, in place with my parents and how they helped me 
with my finances that are actual concrete plans that you have to put in place for yourself mm. and you can't give yourself excuses. I think I, I, even now I will create excuses of, I think I deserve that or I will pay that off later. And it's like, no, you don't deserve anything. You get to live, you get to be, but you don't deserve anything. And learning the difference between wants and needs and learning the difference between whose fault it is and at this point taking responsibility for you, I think is very important Mm. um, in a lot of different things. But definitely for understanding the difference between economic privilege and racial privilege. Mm. But I think they do need to start joining the conversations because I don't understand why you keep that out. Because that is definitely a defining factor in, in the conversation of privilege because if you're starting if you're both starting off I'm thinking black and white right now in my head if you're both starting off on the same foot as far as economically speaking I can see as much as I can as a black woman I can see how white privilege conversations just generalized could be insulting Mm -hmm. and so I think that does need to get inserted somehow but we're one podcast of many. <laughs> if you would like for us to be worldwide, we can make that happen. This is all about the listeners. <laughs> but I, I think it does need to join the conversation of how that affects the white privilege conversation. What are some prejudices that you have and where do they come from and how do you combat them? Men. Mm-hmm. As a woman, I have like these different prejudices or even fears that are justified but also not at the same time we've talked about it before that if i'm walking on a if i'm walking down a street by myself day or night and there's a man walking towards me doesn't matter what race he is doesn't matter what height he is doesn't matter how big or small he is i am going to be a little wary Mm -hmm. of that person now if he's in a suit and the guy coming towards me or, or a guy coming towards me is in like Sweatpants. Sweatpants and a hoodie. I might be a little bit more fearful of the one in the hoodie. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, just like alone and not like he's coming toward, like he's coming towards me with intention. Not like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm just passing a guy on the street. I'm yeah. not going to have that fear. But it like looks like he's coming towards me to like speak to me or something. I'm going to be like, I don't know this man. What does he want? Yeah. Kind of vibe, I guess. That's the one I think of first. Mm-hmm. And how do you combat that? Realizing that I have that prejudice and trying not to let it, like, have fear over me, but being cautious still. Yeah. Because it is a thing to be cautious about. You never yeah, yeah, yeah. know. Um, There's so many stories. Statistically, men are going to do the violence to women more often. Mm-hmm. So... we will slowly poison you (laughs) and i haven't done it i haven't done it but i've thought about taking self-defense classes and i think that would help me feel better yeah and less fearful at the same time i wish i had taken some but i haven't so don't come at me (laughs) (laughs) and i have taken them and i enjoy them and i want to go back to them so malia will protect me a little protected just in general. <laughs> I think some of mine, I think we have to acknowledge the fact that some of our prejudice comes from actual bad experiences. So my prejudice is actually against both a area and a religion. And I know how hypocritical that sounds. Don't come for me. I'm working on it myself. But ever since, well, let me start with this. 
I actually remember 9-11. And part of backstory for me is um, I was homeschooled. And I remember waking up. And my mom had not woken me up, so which I thought was weird. And I go to the living room, and she's just staring at the TV blankly. I really did think for about a couple minutes that what was happening on 9-11 was just this really weird movie. And then I realized it was real life. And I remember it becoming a America versus Arab and Muslim people and having a really distinct fear about that and how that would affect travel and our everyday life. And I grew up in Orlando and realizing that we were on like one of the hit zones of Mm -hmm. for a couple of our places in Orlando of sites that wanted our terrorist attack sites. And so I just remember being very aware when there were Muslim or Arab people in my vicinity. Hmm. I think the point where I realized that it was a problem is one of the first times I had to fly by myself. And I was sitting near a man who was um, dressed in a cultural garb. And I almost felt, I felt the, the beginnings of an anxiety attack happening. And it was one of the first times that that had happened to me. And I, I remember that one of the things that calmed me down was thinking, God, I, I really just had to pray for him. Like, God, if he was thinking the same things about me, what would I want him to say? So I just prayed over all of him. I literally started from the top of his head down to his feet. And I remember he had really nice nails. <laughs> and I remember I was like, bless his feet. I'm a little jealous of his nails. <laughs> but like... I really just had to really see him as God would see him, even though I was filled with fear. Mm. And he had not done anything. That's the really sad part. And really opens my eyes that prejudice is not just you're being mean and hateful because you want to be mean and hateful. I was scared for credible reasons. 9-11 was terrifying. And I remember going to the airport after 9-11 and security being hyped realizing that going on a trip was not going to be the same experience that it had been mm-hmm. before 9-11. Right. And so I just clearly remember that. And so I tried to, things that I've done to combat the nervousness is one, acknowledge it and realize that I am not immune just because I'm a minority mm-hmm. to prejudice and to judge, um, to prejudging, which is what prejudice means to prejudging people just because I'm also part of the prejudging for other people. Another thing that I do is sometimes you just have to compound prejudice with facts. It is not logically possible <laughs> that everyone from a certain religion or sect or place are harmful. Mm-hmm. And so I, I combated my nervousness and my fear with logic. Mm-hmm. I started doing research of of these nations, of these different places, how many are actually harmful? What does the religion of Islam actually mean? I read um, portions of the Quran, which I actually had done for high school, oddly enough, um, for a Bible class that I was doing, mm-hmm. taking, um, where I got to read the Quran, the Bible, um, the Book of Mormon, and what was the other book that I read? It basically was a book of poems, Buddhist poems. Hmm. And it was really, really cool. I really enjoyed that class, actually. Um, 
points to hashtag homework schooling. <laughs> but I comfort it with logic and with prayer and also with acknowledgement. And I, I can honestly say now that most days I don't think about it. And recently I was actually, I noticed um, a Muslim family at the store and I, I was just filled with, I realized that I, instead of fear, I was filled with so much love. And also, I really loved her outfit. <laughs> I was like, I was like how, what's a good way to compliment someone on their hijab <laughs> and, like, their dress without being creepy? <laughs> because they have, like, you know, rules about, like, modesty and, like, not talking to strangers sometimes, mm-hmm. depending on how um, conservative or liberal they are. And so I was like, how do I tell this lady that I love her hijab? <laughs> but... I just walked past and I realized that I really did, my first thought wasn't fear. And so I, I consider that a win in, in my book personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I also have a fear of men. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's necessarily a fear of men. It's mostly men, sometimes women. Mine is based off of size. Mm-hmm. So for context, I'm almost six foot. I'm also big boned and I'm not afraid to scrap with you if you come at me crooked. I look at people based off of size and realizing if it's a hand-to-hand combat I will get scrappy with you. If it's about guns and knives and crap, I'm about to just surrender. Because <laughs> I end up getting cut up and beat up. <laughs> and so mine is also based off the size for me. Not necessarily race, but size. And I would like to think that I am 98% recovered on my prejudice against um, Arab and Muslim people. And I would also like to just... I mean, I don't know if you're, you guys are listening, but just put a thank you out to people who, Muslim and Arab people who just talk to me openly about their faith and what it actually means versus the perversions that have been kind of shared with us through terrorist incidents and events for being so honest, so kind, so um, open and willing to talk about it and realize that you're coming at someone who's has a prejudice and who is fearful and being slightly judgy, but just met with so much kindness. And I just appreciate that so much. And also this guy probably, I'll never meet him again, but he, he was one of the catalysts to, to my fear going away. I was stuck in the airport <laughs> in South Carolina and my connection flight got delayed six times. And so I decided to wander and South Carolina has this uh, prayer room and I went there to go read, honestly. It wasn't even the Bible. I just went there to read. And I actually was there during this um, Muslim uh, man's prayers. And he did half of them silently. And then he asked me if he, he, uh, if I would mind if he prayed openly. And I said, of course not. I was like, can I pray with you? And he said yes. And he showed me um, how, how they pray. Mm. And he allowed me to be a part of his prayer. And then... He opened up this conversation of, is there anything that, that I neglected to pray for over you? And I was like, no, I felt fairly covered in the spirit. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was one of the best experiences I've ever had. Mm. And I remember posting on Instagram that, you know, you just never know what a delayed flight will mean. Mm-hmm. You just, you don't know. And I, I thank God regularly for that experience and how he opened my eyes to... A whole new world, mm. even though it was always out there, but 
it really did change my life. Mm -hmm. And so I don't even remember your name, but thank you for just praying over a stranger and being willing to invite someone into your sacred space. Is there any other questions that you would like for us to cover? Are you satisfied with the series? <laughs> it's coming to an end. This is our last episode, well, of, of the series. <laughs> I, I mean, I hope so. I mean, I think I am. I hope that we can just continue to make these com- to have these conversations, and you know, it's something we can still do in the future and everything. Mm-hmm. But I think we've kind of opened it up to where, mm-hmm. yeah, to where we can add on. I'm excited. I hope that this really will open up more conversations with our audience and that you'll feel open enough to ask us whatever you need to ask us. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a safe space, like part of our intro is, you know, we want to be a safe space. Um, if you don't have one. So we hope that we've thoroughly opened up the gates for you to feel safe and to feel heard and that you can ask us questions. If we don't know, again, we're just going to tell you we don't know, but we're willing to have those conversations. And if we didn't go hard enough for you, let us know. We'll go deeper. Yeah, we'll go way deep. <laughs> Whatever deeper it is. <laughs> I feel like we've been deep. I'm, no, I'm emotionally exhausted. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just thinking, is there any more questions? No, Malia, I'm done. <laughs> I'm emotionally drained. <laughs> so our last thing that we're going to do, which actually was a listener's request, is call to action. Mm. They said that they enjoyed the conversation and that they were looking forward to this last episode, but that we hadn't really addressed something that we were going to do or something that we were either not going to do. So I'm going to do one of each, something that I'm not going to do that I don't feel like I'm called to do, but I want to encourage those who do feel called to do it. And then something that I actually feel called to do that I want to encourage other people to do. So my thing that I don't feel called to do is to protest right now. And I I feel the emphasis to say right now because just with my life and how job, career, school is going, time-wise, I can't commit to protesting. And also with my space in, in time right now, I don't think that's my fight. Mm-hmm. Even though they are my people, <laughs> I don't think it's my fight right now. But I want to encourage those who are protesting and you feel it in your heart and you feel like it's something you need to do, go for it. Don't allow people who are calling you rioters when you are protesting in peace and you have been earned the right to protest in peace. As long as you see injustice happening, keep going. Don't allow them to mislabel you. You just keep doing the next right thing. The thing I do feel called to do is to diversify my church. I am in love with the church that I'm going to right now. I adore it. But I can't help but notice that we are probably 85, I would say, 85% Caucasian to minority. Mm Mm-hmm. In Montgomery. And I don't see any reason for it. Yeah. They're loving people. It's a caring place. Open outside of the drama that has happened here. I don't see any reason for it. And so something that I'm personally trying to do is I'm trying to be more visible, which even though I'm a little flamboyant, y'all, I don't always want to be the center of attention. (laughs) But now I'm on praise team, which is something that I enjoy. I enjoy singing. But the idea of always being, like, in front of other people sometimes freaks me out. Like, I always ask Brittany and LJ to pray for me when I have to be on praise team because I get nervous. Mm. 
And so I'm trying to create good experiences for other people who are watching me, both Caucasians looking at me and maybe they've never had a good experience with a black woman. They're about to have one now. And also for black people who don't have the courage to be in front of others, but have the desire to sing, to preach, to be elders and deacons, whatever, to be missionaries. I want them to see that mission and ministry is possible and it can look like you. So if you have tons of dreams and I, I sympathize with you so much, so many dreams, so many desires, and you want them to be in your church and you want your church to look more like you. It is possible. I'd say, I would say one of the first steps is being in a church where you actually feel supported. I think that's why I feel so able to do what I, I want to do right now is I feel very supported by my eldership and by the ministers that I'm working with mm-hmm. to be courageously on stage and in front of other people and to be a good example, even though personally I am struggling with some personal stuff that we will maybe get into later. I feel very supported. And so I would say first step is being in a place, a church where you're supported, mm-hmm. being encouraged, and then you're just going to have to do it. You're going to have to do it scared and afraid. Courage is not about not feeling fear. It's about pushing past it and doing it anyway. So be encouraged, create courage within you, and then take that courage and run with it. How about you, Brittany? I am, this month is Black History Month. So with my world history class, I showed them Selma and, you know, talked about how the different events of the march from Selma to Montgomery, the, I think that's where I can really influence is to show them the facts, the history, Um, also show them the biases in history and have those discussions with the younger generation. Um, So I've showed them the movie, I've given them like a writing assignment, and then I plan on having a conversation with them um, in class about the movie, what did they think, and kind of their thoughts now as at their age. Mm -hmm. Um, And what age do you teach? It's 8th to 12th grade, so yeah. Um, Different ages, 15 to 18, 14 to 18, something like that. Yeah, and just opening up conversations with the younger generation or with my coworkers as well, you know, having those talks. And I would just call everyone to do the same. Like, be willing to talk with your friends, your family, and being willing to, you know, stand up for someone or defend someone. And do your research. Like, know what you're talking about when you talk about it. Mm-hmm. Simple as that for me. So, I think that's it. Yep. We're going to rock and roll. Thank you for coming to the table, quite literally, by listening <laughs> to this podcast and listening to the Come to the Table series. We hope to do series like this, but also other series in the future. If you would like to suggest any, please hit us up on the socials or online. And we will be listening to you and talking to you later. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to Therapy with Millennials. To keep up to date on our episodes, subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Come follow us on Instagram at Therapy with Millennials or Twitter at T with Millennial, no S. Have any suggestions for the show or want to get in contact with us? Email us at twithmillennials at gmail.com. We can't wait to hear from you.